Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we sit down with content matter experts and discuss what is currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy. My name is Dr. Justin Colshaw. Currently, I'm a PGY2 critical care pharmacy resident at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. And with me today is Dr. Stuart Beatty. And Stu, I'll let you introduce yourself. Thanks. Yeah, my name is Stuart Beatty. I am a pharmacist, a faculty member at Ohio State University College of Pharmacy. I have practiced for over 15 years in a primary care clinic. That's the main clinic for the OSU General Internal Medicine Residency Program, which is how I got started. But that team has grown to where we now have an embedded pharmacist across the entire network of general internal medicine. So a really good partnership there. In, in addition to that, my time and some leadership as the pharmacist, the lead pharmacist in that clinic, I took on some responsibilities recently with the Ohio Pharmacists Association, where I currently serve as the director of practice strategy and practice transformation. And I'm helping to lead up provider status efforts across the state of Ohio for OPA. So I'm pleased to be here today to kind of talk through what we know about provider status and hopefully share that and get some other people motivated to make some of those changes in your state and across the country. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Really excited to jump into the Ohio story and the impact we can all have in our own states and also nationally. So to kick it off, I was hoping, Stu, that you could just give us an overview of what you and your colleagues have done to help achieve provider status in Ohio specifically. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. So Ohio's had a decent amount of press in, over the last few years since we passed our provider status legislation. It certainly has been an exciting time and really pretty quickly as far as the way things came about. I really think of it as kind of threefold. I guess it's important for people to note that in Ohio, we did not just start talking about provider status, you know, in the last five years. This has been something that's been talked about off and on really for more than 20 years in the state. We kind of got some traction, which I'll talk about here in a bit, and some things happened to make things all of a sudden move quickly, but this certainly was not something that was new to the radar. A couple of things that happened. One, of course, we need the legislation. So we had a bill that was written and prepared, and we had some relationships in our General Assembly to make that happen. But a couple of other things that I always like to point out when I talk about the Ohio story that are relevant. One is just the general healthcare transformation, which I think is super important for pharmacist provider status. And I mentioned how I practice in a primary care setting. There's been such a shift in healthcare over the last, you know, 10, 15 years now to really more of this team-based environment. A lot of that's come in the concept of like the patient-centered medical home where I've worked in primary care, accountable care organizations, all of those things. But a lot of that really goes back to value-based payment and starting to put quality over quantity across all of healthcare. And I think as the payments and the incentives in healthcare have changed and continue to shift, there all of a sudden starts to be across all healthcare professionals. It's kind of like, we need all hands on deck. And that certainly leads to the pharmacist as the medication expert. So that's a big piece, I think, of what's just been happening in the background, which is very relevant to the Ohio story and very relevant to other healthcare professionals, I guess, for lack of a better word, like buying in or supporting the fact that pharmacists are more involved in. And the final thing that happened in Ohio, which was really important for us to kind of make things move relatively quickly is what was going on with the PBM industry, PBM management across the state. And Ohio was one of the first to really start to publicize what was happening with PBMs. And I certainly am not an expert in that, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time into what all happened with that. But essentially what happened with PBMs is OPA, Ohio Pharmacists Association, started to work and kind of expose what was happening with PBMs. And then 
what happened is we started to get a lot of traction in the news media. So the Columbus Dispatch is the primary newspaper here in Columbus, Ohio, which happens to be the state capital. So a lot of state legislators started reading this. A lot of the people went home and they could recognize like, oh, this is my hometown pharmacist that you're talking about. When they talked about these pharmacies shutting down and how pharmacies are losing money to actually dispense medications. And as these, you know, these people that don't understand pharmacy, but they certainly understand business are like, that doesn't make any sense. Why is this happening? We're spending millions of dollars in the state for this. So the state auditor actually caught onto this and paid taxpayer money to audit this whole thing and recognized and brought about the fact that there were more than $200 million in taxpayer money that had been misused by the Medicaid department. So all this kind of came about, legislators asking questions, all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, all this is going on in pharmacy. What do you want to do differently? Well, lo and behold, we had this legislation that was ready to go that was pharmacist provider status, which is really starting to incentivize us as pharmacists to do what we're trained to do, which is optimize medicines and take care of medications, take care of patients the right way by optimizing those medication regimens. So that's kind of the, the trifecta of, I think, what happened, obviously the legislation, this overall healthcare transformation and re-incentivizing and putting value back into that equation. And then what happened with the PBMs to really kind of get the media and draw some limelight to what was happening in pharmacy. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like really some stars aligned in Ohio, you know, between those value-based payment models and everything that the OPA did about PBMs. Are those the main contrasting aspects you would say between why provider status has been able to be passed more quickly in Ohio versus the national provider status efforts? Yeah, I think so. I think nationally, there's so many things that need to happen for national provider status to take place. It's truly an act of Congress. And it goes all the way back to the 60s and the Social Security Act of the government and the government's recognition of what a healthcare provider is. And essentially, when you look at this list that started back in the 60s, it doesn't include pharmacists. It doesn't say that pharmacists are not healthcare providers. It just doesn't have us listed as included as healthcare providers. So as a result of that, pharmacists have never been able to get payment out of the medical side of the benefit. And the contrast between the medical and the pharmacy side of the benefit is really important as you really start to get into the nuances of this. So since pharmacists have been excluded from that, we've really been restricted in being able to receive any payments for really our cognitive services. The payment has always been more on the pharmacy side of the benefit, which has really been more towards just dispensing of medications. So again, we're not trained to dispense medications. We're trained to optimize medications. And that's a really big contrast that I make sure that I try to tell legislators and administrators when I talk to them. So in order for things to take place nationally, we have to literally get an act of Congress. And there's so many other things in play there. And there's so many lobbying efforts that come about and things can get watered down quick. And I think what happened in the state of Ohio and what has happened in some other states is states can recognize pharmacists as providers within their own state, that being in the Medicaid department or the private insurance place. And it's just much quicker. You've got relationships that are there to make sure that that can happen on a quicker basis. You can link things directly to Again, like this particular health system, which is in that state or in their hometown, you can link this to, here's my hometown drugstore that has been there now for 60 years representing our little league teams and everything else that goes along with that. It's just much more personal in that state level to make things happen compared to the federal level where things can just kind of become a wash. It doesn't mean that one's more important than the other. Of course, we need this to happen on a federal level. I think that we need states like Ohio and some others, which we'll talk about to continue to kind of trailblaze this a little bit and have the federal government come in afterwards after it's like, why haven't we done this already? 
instead of waiting on the federal government to take the lead on it. Cause I, I think that's going to be a long time coming is my own personal opinion. Yeah, no, that really makes sense. And I mean, the personal connections you mentioned and the passion at the individual state levels want to pivot a little bit, Stu, into something that we've discussed before, which you've touched on a little bit already the health system perspective of billing and efforts moving towards those value-based payment models and really the need to start with a fee-for-service model and how it all plays in to progressing towards provider status, both on the state and national level. Yeah, I'm not going to go over all the states that have done things. There certainly have been other states. One thing that I think is happening is as these states pass provider status legislation or something like it, and the rules get written, they are all a little bit unique. They're all a little bit different. And I think that as we get to the inpatient world, you start to see that where some might allow some inpatient pharmacists to bill and others may not. Inpatient billing and reimbursement is kind of a completely different animal than where I've been, which is more in the outpatient world. And and inpatient billing, there's already a lot of bundled payments and things that have already taken shape. And, And those, in theory, include pharmacists being able to practice at the top of their license in there. So as an example, it used to be that there would be a lot of separate payments if somebody went in for any type of procedure. So let's say like a knee replacement, there would be the surgeon would get billed and the anesthesiologist would bill and the hospital would bill. And what started to happen is there started to be more bundled payments where it's kind of like, okay, you're getting a knee replacement. This is how much reimbursement you get for all of that. And then it's up to the health system to start to determine, okay, what resources do we need to put into place to take care of our patients the best. So pharmacists have been kind of included in that, but it is still a little bit gray. It's still a little bit wishy-washy, but I think inpatient pharmacists need to make sure they continue to track their interventions, continue to track their worth and continue to work with hospital leadership for the value of what those pharmacists bring. As you start to look at these value-based models, you start to look at lack of reimbursement for readmissions or dual-sided risk sharing or accountable care organization where you're responsible for things outside the hospital too. And there's been a lot of recognition, you know, pharmacists can really help with this, these hospital transitions outside, like from hospital to home, but also even within hospital units, as I'm sure lots of the folks that are going to listen to this have been a part of, those are all really, really important things that there's been more value to. And there may not be a direct code or a direct link to that in the hospital setting today. But those things are really, really important to track so that it's important to know this is where a pharmacist is needed. This is something that a pharmacist needs to be the person to do this. There's not another healthcare professional that's available that can do this for us or do it better. So those things are really, really important as you start to look at the difference between like the inpatient billing and the outpatient billing, which is again, continuing to evolve in this, the mix between this fee-for-service and value-based space. And when I switch back to the outpatient world, again, where I've lived and what we've done in Ohio, where primarily we are in the outpatient space and our provider status, we have started in the fee-for-service world, meaning essentially pharmacists have access to the evaluation and management code, similar to a physician's assistant, a nurse practitioner, or a physician. We wanted access to those same codes. And that's essentially where we live right now. There's a recognition at the state level and with every insurance company that I talk to that pharmacists need to have access and need to be part of this value-based equation as well. And I think that we will be, and we will continue to be, but the thought was let's at least start in fee-for-service because we don't want to wait to figure out this whole value-based mix and then start to add pharmacists to it. Let's put pharmacists in fee-for-service. And as we're building out these value-based models, then we can start to figure out how pharmacists play into all that as well. So I think that's really important for other states and other folks as well. Value-based is certainly the way things are going. 
but I don't see a future where it's not going to have fee for service payments as well. So I think a mixture of both of those is going to be important on really both the inpatient and the outpatient side. Yeah, no, those are great things to be cognizant of and understanding the trajectory of this going forward. And I think something that at least I personally, and I think a lot of other farms don't necessarily hear a lot about. So I appreciate the conversation. And I wanted to touch on one thing you were mentioning about the inpatient side, inpatient pharmacists specifically, and you know, a big thing that we can do tracking our own interventions. And I think that's something that a lot of, I mean, like myself rounding in ICUs primarily this year in my residency worked on implementing it to a more daily routine, but obviously when things get uh, more strenuous in the unit, you know, patient care calls, a lot of times those documentation efforts, whatever it may be in your respective electronic medical record or whatever system you're able to develop, those things can kind of fall by the wayside and probably in states where we're pushing for that relevance of the provider status on the inpatient side thinking administratively or system-wide how we can standardize in a realistic way, tracking our interventions, all the little things that we do on the inpatient side while rounding with teams. Otherwise, in a consistent manner to track those would really behoove us. It's difficult logistically, but should definitely be a conversation I think we're having. Yeah, I completely agree. It's got to be something where we can track them efficiently, but we got to be able to track those things out because then other people can get involved and start to put numbers to like, well, what if you wouldn't have done that? And I know a lot of that's always happened in pharmacy and a lot of that can kind of be like soft payment or soft cost savings, but those things do add up and they are important to be able to show what it is that we are actually doing to then say, you know, we should be getting reimbursed or as I like to say, just incentivized. We should be incentivized to be providing this care across the spectrum. And that's really important on the inpatient and on the outpatient side for sure. And part of that is we do have to document and, and we have to come up with systems that do make it efficient to document. As you said, it can be really hard. We're in their midst of caring for that patient to then have to go back and document that out. But in this case, we're not really different than any other healthcare provider. So again, I go to like, what does a surgeon do? A surgeon has to document where they cut and they're not documenting while they're cutting, but they have to go out and document exactly what it is they, they did. They have systems in place to make sure that they count every piece of gauze and every stitch and all of that stuff in place to make that efficient. I think in some ways we have to think like that. How do we make it as efficient as possible so that we can go back and document those things, but also it's, then it's relevant, the things that we document. So, so yeah, I don't know that I have any great answers for that, but I think that that's really important for us to do as we move this whole train forward. No, most definitely. And I think one of the wrenches that's thrown and will require some creative thinking is how variable can be from one institution to the other. I'm excited to be finishing up my residency here at UCMC, but moving into my next role, moving over to Boston, I'm sure the whole flow of the electronic medical record and the way I electronically document things, the flow there has potential to be very different. So I'm sure that's hard to keep consistent if we're trying to look at a state level, what is the inpatient pharmacist quantified or recorded intervention? going to vary between service lines and then definitely institutions. But yeah, I think that's a great transition into, you know, beyond documenting, what can pharmacists do in the inpatient or outpatient setting to help get their states closer to provider status or even nationally get us all closer? Yeah, I think as much as anything, when I try to talk to pharmacists about this, I talk to pharmacists across all settings with what I'm doing in Ohio. I really think we have to go back to our core and we have to remember our training. At our core, we have to make sure we're taking care of the patient. 
And pharmacists in general, just by our personalities, we're risk averse people. And that's great. That's what makes us so good at what we do. But we've got to be able to take some risk, I think, for our patients and make sure that we show like, no, I can provide better care if I get more involved with this patient. And we've got to be willing to talk about that. We've got to make sure that we let the patients know that we're doing that for them. That's how our story starts to get told. And that's how you start to get physicians and other people on board. You know, there's a lot of talk right now about the AMA and the AMA coming out against provider status. And I don't want to get into all of that, but I think at the core, if you talk to physicians across the country that have worked with the pharmacist, that is not the way that they feel. And I know the physicians I work with at Ohio State don't feel that way. So I think sometimes we get wrapped up in these blanket statements. I think what we need to do more of is just take care of those patients on an individual level and let those stories start to take shape and let others tell the story. Because I know, again, where I work when I'm dealing with physicians, they don't want to take care of a patient without a pharmacist involved. They want to make sure that we are involved everywhere. And that story means a lot. That means a lot more to have another healthcare professional say that and tell my story for me than me trying to tell the story myself. So I just think we have to get out there. I think we have to be somewhat consistent in making sure that we're taking care of the patient. We're optimizing those medications. We're trying to make sure we're pushing towards being on the medical side of the benefit like other providers. But at our core, we've got to go back to taking care of patients first and foremost. No, I totally agree with that. I feel very lucky with my training here at UCMC and I can see clearly that model, that the path that my preceptors here paved for me in terms of the great renown of our pharmacy department with all the attendings across all different service lines. And, you know, that really they would swear up and down and oftentimes say, oh, where would we be without the pharmacists here on rounds doing things and helping direct our care plans and making sure everything's appropriate and safe and efficacious. And I mean, just continuing that philosophy and that passion in us through our own work, I think you're right. We'll just continue to inspire our you know, multidisciplinary colleagues where they can vouch for us as well. Yeah. I think we have to just make sure we do tell each other's story as well. You know, like I probably don't do a good enough job, but like I have a good understanding of what's happening in the hospital and in the clinical interventions that are being made there. And I think it's amazing. And I think there's a lot of training that's gone into that, that I certainly don't have, but there's stuff that I do in primary care that others don't have the training in. And there's training and there's things that happen in a community pharmacy and they have access to information and they're helping patients in a different way. And we have to make sure that we're advocating, I think, for the entire profession and almost start to build, I kind of equate it to like a referral process. So, you know, if there's somebody that's in a community pharmacy, there's certain things they can take care of and they're trained to take care of today. One of those might not be intubating somebody or how to get somebody sedated like it is for the training that you've had. It may not be training for specific cancer drugs that are now very biologic and the things go along with that, but they need to have a referral process that they can be like, okay, well, yeah, I can't help you with that particular question or that particular topic, but I have people within my field that can help you with that. And then the same for you, if you're in the ICU, be like, okay, I don't really know about this prior authorization process or what needs to happen with your hypertension medicines after you get out of the hospital from a monitoring standpoint, but I need to refer you back to this primary care pharmacist or somebody that's in the community that's going to help you dispense that and almost start to build across a referral process within our profession that I don't think that we've done a good enough job of that either. So it's really advocating and tracking those outcomes, you know, not just for ourselves and where we practice, but also across the entire profession. Because again, we're kind of risk averse. We're typically pretty humble people. We don't really like to talk about ourselves, but I think we are pretty passionate about pharmacy and what we do. So maybe if we tell each other's story, if I tell your story for the ICU, you can tell mine for primary care and so on and so forth, that we could build it further that way. I couldn't agree more. I think just the inherent 
respect that we can all draw out and passion talking about each other and building each other up. It's probably our clearest path to our common goal. You know, I'll shout out my institution again. I think that's one of the most frustrating things on the inpatient side is, you know, some of those transitions of care aspects, especially determining, you know, optimal payment insurance coverage for patients when we're discharging them sometimes from the ICU or from the floor. Here at UC, we have this medication assistance team, medication access team. And with multiple full-time employee pharmacists, and we can refer them. And I know we're very happy to have them and always boasting about our outpatient pharmacy that we have here that's associated with the institution and that we have a full team over there that can work on those transitions. And a lot of us on the inpatient side don't know where we'd be half the time without them. So I think that's, I mean, a great example. Obviously, not all institutions have the luxury to have a program like that, but connecting with your local community pharmacies or primary care areas to boost each other up and share each other's stories, I think is a great pearl to come out of this talk. So moving from there in terms of what we can do to go forward. So specifically for the Ohio story, we have provider status in Ohio now. So what is the current landscape of where we are right now in terms of having provider status? What does that exactly mean with where we are now and what's the next step? Yeah. So in Ohio, where we currently are is any pharmacist that is a licensed pharmacist can get a Medicaid ID number. Our work has primarily been at working with the Department of Medicaid. So we think that's a really big win that the license is essentially the credential. So anybody that has a license can get a Medicaid ID number. Once you have a Medicaid ID number, you can enroll with the Department of Medicaid and you can enroll with our Medicaid managed care organizations to start to bill as a provider. Currently that is with Medicaid, you can be reimbursed 85%. So in line with a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant across those plans. And we are essentially utilizing the same codes that again, they would use in the outpatient setting. So as far as where we need to go, I think we need to open it up and we need to look at things like institution and hospital and facility-based billing is one area we need to grow in. I think there are new codes and some different codes that we originally did not have access to that I think that pharmacists are well aligned to have access to as there's new things coming out in telehealth and in the digital health space. I think as pharmacists, we probably need to continue to work to have access for that. And I think one of the big things we need to do is we need to have some of the commercial plans in the state pick this up. You kind of talked about those different states earlier and all the different states that have done provider status that, as I mentioned, they've all done things a little bit different. Some of them have had success in the commercial space. Some of them have had success in the Medicaid space. There's very few that have had success in both. So I think in Ohio, there's some employer groups and some different plans that are recognizing pharmacists, but we really like to get some commercial plans that are recognizing pharmacists and there's starting to be reimbursement for that. Again, I relate back to my training and what I do in primary care. And as we started to get value-based contracts, I can remember being at these leadership meetings and talking about, well, we need to focus on this metric with this group and this metric with this group. And some of our physicians being like, look, I don't want to have to think about that. I just want this to get to the place where we've got metrics that are aligned and I can just take care of my patients. So that's the same thing I think of for pharmacists is that I don't want a pharmacist that's in a community pharmacy to have to think about, oh, like, what's my collaborative practice here? Am I signed up with this group or am I going to get reimbursed for this? We need to have enough insurance plans on board that they can just take care of who that person is in front of them and know that there's going to be an incentive for them to, to provide that care across multiple payers. So we've got to continue to expand that. Obviously, Medicare would be a huge win there, which we do need the federal legislation for. 
But I do think we've got opportunity in the Medicare Advantage space because they've got a little bit more flexibility to do things there. So I guess that's maybe three different things that I answered, but I think that's what we need to continue to work on in Ohio. And I think those are things to work on across all the states to, again, kind of make this federal push. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a great note as we're sort of wrapping up here about what specifically we can all do across all different states to really help push ourselves forward towards provider status, you know, in conjunction with telling each other stories, boosting each other up and, you know, just being really cognizant of this whole conversation and everything that's going on behind the scenes. So I really appreciate you sharing all of your experience and the awesome work that you and your colleagues have done to get Ohio to where it is and the national picture of it. Is there anything else in terms of what we can do as a community of pharmacists to help push us towards this common goal of provider status? Yeah, I think in closing, it's just continue to tell that story. Telling that story is in essence advocating. So advocating is at the core of everything. And I think a lot of times we think advocating has to be part of this letter writing campaign and we have to go attend this legislator's breakfast. And those things are all great and those things are important, but so much more of advocating is making sure we tell our story, we tell each other's story. We start to have patients tell our story. We start to have physicians tell our story. That's what starts to resonate when you have people be like, I didn't know that a pharmacist can do this. And then they start to tell that story for you. Then it starts to become, I didn't know a pharmacist can do this. It starts to transition to why aren't more pharmacists doing this? But I think those are really important things to do. I just think it's really important that we continue to, again, focus on the patient and optimize those things. In Ohio, it's been really, really fun to see the pleasure that our pharmacists are getting out of it. I think it's an opportunity. It may not be the answer for everyone and solve everything, but I think it is an opportunity towards burnout, which is obviously something we talk about a lot. Because I really think it's getting back to the reason that we went into pharmacy and the training that we got, which is really providing the care for those patients and optimizing medicines through those relationships. So I would just continue to tell people to tell that story. If you want to know what to do in your state, I'm happy to reach out or connect you with people within your state or do what we can to continue this movement forward. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Sue, for telling your story and for practicing what we're preaching here and just very glad to have this discussion with you today and talk about the Ohio story in general and pursuits of pharmacy provider status. Thank you all for tuning in and listening. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.